0: Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, if at all possible. Find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for an overall. Let's go. zero dark 30 here in Chicago, the uh, sun is just coming up over the eastern horizon, the coffee is hot, and uh, every time I hear taking care of business, my right foot starts tapping, and that's a good thing, it means I'm still alive. So glad to be here with you and glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. The magic of technology never fails to amaze me. You know, it's been an interesting week for me. They're all interesting weeks, are they not? If you really take a look at your life, you go, oh, that was friggin' interesting. But this week is a, a lot of pieces moving. I have this big event tomorrow that I've been talking about for maybe too long. It ends tomorrow, uh, I'll tell you that. But I've been working on this event backwards for quite a while. It's a book launch for my friend Randy Hundley's autobiography called Iron Man. And um, we have books. Let's just put it this way. one of the, I was losing sleep, which I never lose sleep over things, but this is, this is a little bit different. Uh, I got books on Thursday. Uh, there was at least four or five times over the last two months that I didn't know if I'd have books for a, quote, book launch, which is kind of what you want to have there. So the default plan was that if the books weren't available, my friend Jerry, who I grew up with, he'll be at the event. uh, He's got a graphics design company, and he was going to create 125, 150 copies of the cover, and then Randy could sign those, and we'd hand those out in lieu of other things, books, and then when the book showed up, we would just mail them out. So then you're mailing out 150 copies or more. And that's, you know, it is what it is. So you just kind of got to go with that. But about uh, two weeks ago, I suppose at this point, my great friend, Ginny, who's listening to this show, I know we were having a conversation back and forth about this. She's very steeped in publication and business with printing. And she was worked with a publisher and owned a publishing company has done everything you can imagine from being a producer for television, to be an author herself. She wrote a great book uh, about Dick Van Dyke show. So we were having this conversation and I mentioned to her that, you know, this might not happen. And she put me on to the woman who does the layout work for me, for all the books that I do, Jennifer. And I never even once thought about reaching out to Jen because she's the layout person. And I didn't know anything really more than that. So I did reach out to Jennifer and she says, hey, I got a printer that's like 25 minutes away from you. Really? So long and short of it is that uh, it all worked out. And uh, I was expecting to get books on Friday, which would have been yesterday, but they got ready to go with them on Thursday about three o'clock. And she said, do you want to wait till Friday? No, I don't want to wait. I've been waiting two weeks and let's go see this thing. And so I got there. It was pretty, pretty cool. A very small printing company in West Chicago. And I pull, I, and I had to kind of get the GPS because I know the area pretty, pretty well. I had, wasn't real clear on where this place was at so I got the GPS out and even you ever been where you're using your GPS and you're in front of the building it still says you got a block to go so it's kind of nestled in a residential area a little bit hard to find but I found it and I pulled around the side and I rang the bell and uh, this this fella comes out and he's uh, wearing a, a white Sox ball cap Chicago white Sox. and I said well I'm here to pick up 250 copies of a book he's oh come on in come on in we're expecting you and I walk in and it's you know it's not a big shop but obviously they're getting the job done And uh, he says, so uh, you want to see a copy? I said, well, yeah, I do. And he opened up the box and he looked fantastic. And, you know, I I thumbed through it real quick and all the pictures were where they're supposed to be and they're not blurred out or anything like that. And and he says, "Uh, Randy Hundley, huh? I said, yeah. He says, "Uh, do you know him? I said, I wrote the book. You wrote the book? I said, yeah. He says, we never get the people that write the books in here, just the people who pick it up. I said, well, guess what? This is the way this one's going to go. And he looks at it again. He goes, Randy Hundley, huh? And I said, yes. And he goes, hell of a catcher. And I said, you're wearing a White Sox hat. He goes, yeah, don't tell anybody I said that. But that's kind of the effect that Randy has had on people, especially obviously here in the Chicago area, for so many years. So tomorrow we do this book launch, and we're expecting a couple hundred Cub fans and campers, which are the people who attended the Randy Hundley fantasy camp over the years, uh, and, and guests, and his family to descend on arguably the best Italian restaurant in Chicago, and I'll argue with anybody over it, La Villa on the northwest side. Here's my shameless plug for my friends at La Villa. Christine has been a longtime friend. We've been ordering pizzas since they opened a place in you know the mid-70s, and uh, every time I need something when it comes to an event, or even just to go to an incredible dinner, that's where we go. When I, have, when I was working for, at Harpo, and I had the big name guests come in, I'd always take them to La Villa and to hang out and it was just fantastic. So Christine, once again, has risen to the, uh, to the challenge and uh, just calmed me right down. You know, I have a lot of irons in the fire as they say and yet, even though people say, boy, you're doing an amazing job, well, that's only because I know amazing people that help me do it. Like Jenny, who says, here, call, call Jennifer and then Jennifer delivers and I, got, I gotta have a couple hundred people in Chicago for this guy's book launch. I gotta call Christine. You know, you have your go-to's and that's what allows these things to come together. And you get a little uh, kismet in there, a little ink, a little something, something, and things start to move in a good direction. And I've learned over the years to get out of the friggin' way. You know, I mean, there's just so much you can do and you don't know how it's gonna turn out. You just put your best input as you possibly can into the deal and let the chips fall where they may. So. Really looking forward to this tomorrow. Yesterday, I should say more specifically last night, uh, I was out at Randy's daughter's house and uh, we had about 100 books to sign, meaning he did. I didn't sign any books because his name's, my, my name's on the cover too, but that's not the point. This is his book and his name uh, prominently displayed and, and signing these books, I watched him for three and a half hours. Uh, not moving real fast sometimes, but I also realize, you know, when I sign books for myself, if it's, it's let's say, somebody says they want to autograph, copy, personalize, you know, I'll, I'll name, all the best, have a great day, something, Randy's writing paragraphs to these people, and I realized how cool that is and how important that is at his time in his life that he does that, that he doesn't pencil whip it, as we call it, or even pen whip it, but he's sitting there writing with great cursive, this beat-up old catcher with this beautiful handwriting. So we got these books all stacked. His son Todd Hundley, who played, I don't know, 14, 15 years in the majors, two-time all-star, home run record for the New York Mets for catchers. Um, You know, we're all sitting there watching him do this, and it just really kind of brought me back to the first time I signed my name in a book. I'd sit there as well for as long as you, what do you want me to write? I'll write the whole thing. The Magna Carta, no problem. I'll write the whole thing out. So sitting with him last night and meeting his family was just a joy. What a great group of people. And uh, I am so looking forward to them being in the fold of all things tomorrow. So there's a few books we didn't get to. He'll take care of that today. And then tomorrow morning, we'll all gather in the culmination of a year's worth of work plus. Uh, Working backwards from this date and this book launch is not something I'm used to anymore because I don't usually have deadlines for things. Uh, And this was a deadline. And there's an obvious uh, piece of this to me that, listen, the man's 81, and he, along with myself and everybody else in the room's not getting any younger, we're heading in the other direction. So we all have more, for the most part, more yesterdays than tomorrows. And and that's prominent in my mind these days, especially working with him. I've known the man 35 years, and uh, to watch him go through the steps that he needs to to get this done... I got to tell you about three weeks ago, we're going th- you know, listen, the book process of, of, uh, of editing and revisions and stuff is, is painful to me. Writing is painless, it's just you open the floodgates and out it goes. Editing and revising, painful, because then you got to put the puzzle pieces where they really belong, not where we're just throwing up on the paper. So it is, every book in the world has a typo or five somewhere, it's just the, the nature of the business. It's like baseball. Runs, hits and errors. We got a lot of runs in the book, we got a lot of hits, we got some home runs, and there's some errors in there that you can't see why you're doing it. Even though there's been multiple pairs of eyes on this thing, I sent him over the uh, author's proof once it was, you know, printed up, and he calls me and he says, "Well, buddy, I think we got about 22 mistakes in here." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Again, gone through it over and over again, but A blindness takes over when you're working on a book like this, any book, you just can't see it anymore. And even somebody else who's gone through a two, three, four, they can't see it. So fresh eyes are the thing. The other part of it that really works well, which I don't always remember, is reading it out loud. Because it's one thing for your mind to see what it thinks it sees. And it may or may not skip a word or a phrase or gets turned around. And your mind just is so used to reading things in a linear fashion. That it may or may not put words in that belong there or don't, but reading out loud that changes all that. But anyway, so he, he calls and tells me that we have these typos and things that need to be fixed and things that I just couldn't see anymore. So old Eagle Eye Hunley and I get on the phone uh, for about an hour and a half, two hours on a it was a couple Mondays ago, and he's go we, line by line and he had all the you know n- numbers set up for the pages and <laughs> he got every one of them. He had batted a thousand, and on one hand. That is invaluable, because his sweat equity and other thing is important to him, and I want to get it as right as possible, obviously as well. So there, you it's the way it works. So really looking forward to all that, and by the time it rolls out in September, probably the second week of September, something like that, September seventh, eighth, somewhere in there. That's the first week, John, but in my mind it's the second week because I'm already thinking it's like October. I'm waiting for the Oreos to come out, the Halloween Oreos. That's what i That's when things change in my life every year. But anyway that's a different show so tomorrow we'll do all that stuff with Hunley it was great but last night a couple interesting things again came up in conversation with people I've never met before and we're sitting at Randy's daughter's big table in her beautiful home and at the kitchen there and uh having a meal all together a little uncomfortable I had me at the head of the table I thought that's where he should be sitting but somehow ended up there and uh we're going back and forth and about things in life. And one of the guys that was there, Uncle Steve, I believe, is his name. What a card he is. He starts asking about how I do what I do or why I do what I do. And both of those things. And have you been an author your whole life? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And, you know, you start recounting, at least I did, started recounting and looking back on something that I do so much of. It's hard to find the actual roots of it sometimes, where this stuff blossoms from. It gets a little shady after a while. And all I can remember and I could share with them was being a kid and sitting at the kitchen table in the morning before school, grammar school, for sure. And we had this huge bookcase in our hallway that went out to the front door. And, you know, huge meaning it was probably six feet long, maybe seven feet long and to the ceiling, so 10 feet. And it was just filled with books, obviously, of every kind. And my dad, especially, my mom was a reader, but my dad especially was, you know, he would, he would take a book with him to work. And it was about every third day. So, I, you know, he's devouring books pretty rapidly. And at some point he would say to me, you know, you might want to read this or something along those lines. And it never, never said you should read this, but it got my curiosity up as to what was in there that my dad was reading, he thought I might enjoy. So recounting all that last night took me back to the roots of this stuff and how important I thought it was to be able to um, have your name on the spine of a book, that you had done something that will outlive you. Most of the people on that shelf at that point, I think they were dead, right? But they lived on because their name was on the spine of a book. And I like the idea that the book has a spine, like we have spines. Sometimes we forget we have spines, but that your name's on the spine of a book, that you stood for something. There was something in your life that kept you upright and breathing, and that it was worth recording between the covers of a book. So that's where it started. And, you know, I didn't take any journalism classes or creative writing classes. I didn't take any writing classes at all. I mean, I got through English, but. Everybody gets through English to some greater or lesser degree. So none of what I'm doing when it comes to the book part of my life, these, this literary uh, juggernaut that seems to keep pulling me back in time and time again, I never thought I'd be the guy that had my name on the spine of a book or that I would ever, ever in my life have the opportunity to have Randy Hundley's name on the spine of a book. I mean, and the other people I've worked with, they're all great in their own way. So it was a time of reflection last night. And, you know, all of them thought to some degree that I'd been, you know, like I'm John Grisham here, you know, that I just, I come out and I'm writing. And this, this is certainly not the case. Much later in my life, it's a late life gift for me, uh, for the probably, when I wrote my first book in '07, started in 04, came out in 07, second one came out in 10, third one came out in 18, and then all these other books. And it's just become something to connect with and grab onto. Along with that is something that just kind of paired right up with it is I bought a new watch a couple days ago. I lost my watch that I've had for, I don't know, 25 years, a year ago or so. I have no idea where it went. And I've been looking for it and digging for it and asking for the guidance for it. I'm like, I like this watch. I've had it a long time. My kids bought it for me a long time ago. You know when they were little and put their money together, bought dad a Christmas present. I don't know where it went. Looked high and low. Then let it go and then start it over again looking. No idea. So we were out shopping a couple days ago and I came across this watch. And you know, it's a beautiful watch. And it may be time to just let the other one go and buy a new one. So I I did. And it's in the case with a thousand other watches. And this one happened to catch my eyes. It looks not unlike the one I lost. Go figure. Real move upwards for me. It's basically the same watch, just brand new. And all the watches in the case do the same thing. They all keep time. That's it. You can you can build all around it you want. I mean, some of the watches for men's, they're huge. I like wearing a coffee mug on your wrist. I mean, I don't I don't understand all that. I know it's a fashion thing more than a functional thing. But basically, whether it was a six thousand dollar watch in there or a sixty dollar watch, they all do the same thing. What we build out around that to make it look different or look good or 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 you know to bam it up a little bit, that's that's not really that important. What's important is what does it do? And these things keep time. So so we're at dinner last night, I'm wearing my new watch and nobody asked me about it, but I'm thinking about this guy, Uncle Steve, asking me about my timeline of my life and how I've done this stuff and what's going on and and, and all that. And And I just kept thinking about the takeaway for me about the time that I've had. It's hard for me not to think these things. This is why I spit it out on Saturday mornings because we get so busy doing stuff we don't think about this stuff as much as I think we should. And the whole concept of more yesterdays than tomorrows and what are you going to do with the time whether you got a $6 watch or $60 watch or a $6,000 watch. They all do the same thing. So it's like life, isn't it? We're going to get this finite, not infinite, but finite period of time to do what we're supposed to do. And I don't know how many people spend time listening for what they're supposed to do. None of what I do now I was trained for, like traditionally. I, I thought I'm gonna run jackhammers and, and drive front loaders and dump trucks. I love construction work. And then I thought, well, I'd be a teacher, and then I'd you know, coach football. Those are passions of mine. This stuff over here, radio, talks, all the books, nothing I ever gave any real conscious thought to, but there was something in my timeline that was calling me, offering it to me, and it was embedded and hidden in all the minutiae and all the struggles and all the challenges and all the ups and downs. It was buried in there, it was hidden. It's hidden treasure. And so for better or for worse, not always for better, a lot of times it was for the worse. to go in and to find what was shoved in that timeline, later played itself out as sitting at a table watching Randy Hunley autograph books. I just, it, it just all kind of condensed on me. So this morning, you know, I started thinking once again about the time we have and the time we don't. And, and Randy's wife passed away 20 years ago. And, you know, it's been very difficult for him. And as I was listening to conversation last night in the room, you know, talking about people that they wish were at dinner and things like that, you know, that's the, that's the reality of it. And I've often brought up this human math thing. I did this talk five years ago in Ontario, Canada, uh, a TED talk about human math. My dad being a, uh, a banker and just not understanding numbers whatsoever, I would sit there for hours trying to hack through basic math. Even though I, my dad was a whiz at numbers, I think it kind of ticked him off a little bit. But he stayed with me and he'd work with me on these things. And as I probably even mentioned a week or two ago, it wasn't until much later in life that I started to understand the language of math and numbers and how they pertain to my life really, like a watch. And so when I did this talk, I had a, a I made a PowerPoint and I couldn't find it for the longest time, like my freaking watch. And oddly enough, this morning when I was getting ready to do this, I thought, whatever happened, it, by the way, I think there's a place where all this shit goes. I think there's the the showerhead we've been looking for is in this slot somewhere. My watch is there, you know. Things just go into this this vortex somewhere. Maybe we get to see him someday. Maybe we don't. But it's odd to me and amazing to me uh, that the stuff just seems to evaporate. Maybe we just don't need it anymore. But I was looking not for this particular uh, document, but for something else. I'll get to in a second here. And I came across the document quote by accident. I thought, oh, there it is. I got to use it. So while I have alluded to this in different ways on this show over the past few years, uh, this is the actual deck that I use. And I wanted to share this this morning because it's a reminder to myself and hopefully you listening that time is what you make it. And whether your time is being kept on a $6 watch or a $600 watch, it's the same thing. It's all how you decide the value. So this deck started out with the odds of being struck by lightning are one in 700,000. I can't tell you how much I enjoy being out in the yard when it's pouring rain thinking, what are the odds of getting struck by lightning, John? Well, they're one in 700,000. The odds of being attacked and killed by a shark are one in 3,748,067. So when you hear of these things, they are infinitesimal except for the person whose leg is missing, but we are fearful of something that has been shown to us over and over again but the odds that it happening are, you know, 3,748,067. Probably not going to happen to you. The odds of being killed in a plane crash are 1 in 11 million. The odds of becoming president of the United States, <laughs> 1 in 30 million. The odds of winning the Powerball jackpot, no matter how much the amount is, is 1 in 292 million. The odds of being born, one of my favorites, is 1 in 400 trillion. Compared to all the other things I just gave you odds on, this is the big kicker. It's one in 400 trillion that you showed up. That's, if that's not winning the lottery, I don't know what is. The odds of dying are one in one. It's going to happen. How you live to that point, can't tell you. Only you get to decide that. So All of this stuff to me comes from a linear mindset. Linear math always adds up. It's what we learned in school. The decimal multiplication table was taught as an integral part of the elementary math system around the world. It's the foundation for arithmetic operations with base 10 numbers. Remember this? Of course you do. A majority of experts and educators deemed it is necessary to memorize the times table at least up to nine times nine. Right? But what if you go past that to 12 times 12? Then what? 144 is the answer if you're struggling for that like I used to do when I was in third grade. And no matter where you go in the world, it'll always be 144. No matter what the conditions are, no matter what. It's linear learning. And because of that linear learning, my theory is, my uh, thesis is, is that everything should add up because that's what we were taught. 12 times 12 is 144. And you have this straight line to that which you are seeking and that which is seeking you. The reality is, of course, and I'm, you can't see it, but I, there's, I have this, uh, this image that you start over here and it's this squiggly lines all over the place till you get to the end of your days. It's all over the map to a greater or lesser degree. And that's how it is. So if you take the average life expectancy, uh, which is for the US, total combined male and female is 79.3 years. Uh, that becomes 28,835 days. 28,835 days. And we all know people who've gotten less, right? And some people get more. Randy's just passed that average lifespan in the United States at 81. So here's the human math subtraction factors. 28,835 days, you spend 25 years sleeping, seven years lying in bed, trying to fall asleep, three years of doing laundry, four years of talking on the phone at work or in your car, three years of sitting in traffic, 11 years watching television, 4.5 years eating, five years surfing the internet. And women spend about a year deciding what to wear, men about eh, 10 minutes, and uh, two years in meetings and eight and a half years of shopping. Well, you're saying, John, you left the sex thing out. How much time do we spend out of those 28,000 plus days having the sex? 117 days or about four months of your life total is spent doing the wango tango. So the human math equation goes like this. 28,835 days minus your age. My human math number is 28,835. The number of days I've burned up already 21,535 days, but this was five years ago I did this. Drum roll, please. Back then when I did this talk, 7,300 days to go. Here's my update. The rough guesstimate of my uh, remaining balance in this timeline of mine that I'm on is 5,100 days. Since I did the TED Talk, 2,200 days have evaporated the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it comes down to that timeline and what we do with the time we're given. Joan of Arc had 6,935 days. Marilyn Monroe, she had 13,140 days. John Lennon, 14,600 days. Diana the Princess of Wales had 13,140 days, the exact same amount as Marilyn Monroe. Now, there's no better or worse here or, you know, comparison as far as how they live their lives, but basically the same timeline, look what they were able to do with that. Both of them, and all these names, plus many, many more, have outlived their timeline. And to me, that's like the big aha in this whole deal, isn't it? I don't think it's to be famous for the sake of fame, but it's to do what you came to do. And I've got so many friends of mine that worked a job for 30 or 40 years and hated it. And then they and they don't know what to do with themselves. And I hear this all the time. When are you gonna retire, John? What would I retire from? My timeline, doing my thing, being myself. I've been, I don't know that I'm any fortunate or, or better than anybody else when it comes to that thing. Meaning all I did was keep saying yes to things that I thought were a no. And you dig through this, and you and you get down to the visceral pieces, and then on the other side of it is all this other cool stuff. I'm sitting here in my studio, I'm looking at Randy Hundley's gold glove with the book in front of it. Tomorrow it'll be on display. And I don't know, nor should I know, all the things that make this stuff happen, the magic of life. But that's what gets kind of initiated, engaged into when you say yes to stuff, when you That inner rudder starts to turn you in the direction you're supposed to be as the direction you think you're supposed to be. And it's not easy. But the minute you connect what you do with who you are, you're toast. Because they're two very different things. What you do is just what you do. As I mentioned, friends of mine doing what they think they need to do, and rightfully so, but hating it the whole time. I'm thinking, well, if you're going to hate it the whole time, you're probably you know, diminishing your time on earth to some greater or lesser degree. And to me, that's the whole game. A couple of weeks ago when the Powerball was in billions, more people play it then than when it's a lesser amount, which is the wrong strategy because the more people in the pool they even diminish the chances of winning even greater. So, but the lure of, of winning, the lure of this payoff is such a big thing. But what about our lives in that payoff? These are little victories for me. Tomorrow, as I said, for the 13th time, I can't wait to get in there and watch people just shower this guy with the love he deserves because of who he is to them. And it's not just being a baseball player. It's far beyond that. He created something these fantasy camps that didn't exist. And because of that, families came out of this. I mean, it's a giant family, thousands and thousands of of people who long to play ball and did because of him not only with their heroes but wearing you know major league uniforms with their names on the back that is a dream for a lot of people it was for me and i got to do it with them and so how many times in your life do you get a chance to go that was a dream come true it's all through the book so tomorrow's going to be a kick wrapping this up last night about eight o'clock as i'm sitting there watching randy finishing up the last few books john barry sends me a text the uh, country singer songwriter he was just on the grand old opry last week did a great uh, great great performance as he always does and maybe some of you listening caught him in concert somewhere uh, he was up in chicago last spring maybe he'll come back next year and he sends me this text message how cool is this and it's a picture of a t-shirt that his son found like in north dakota somewhere uh of the john denver world tour 1980 t-shirt and John Barry makes no bones about the fact that John Denver was his biggest musical influence. And it also got me thinking, of course, along the lines of uh, what I've been talking about. How many days do you get? John Denver had 19,345 days to do his thing. And because he did his thing, he outlives that. So here's this guy, you know, John Barry in his own right is this country music superstar. He <laughs> He just is, he's, he's an icon in the business. And he's texting me, giddy like a school kid, that his son found him this T-shirt for this guy who means so much to him and has basically built his career off of that type of influence. And so when you look at the ripple effect of things like that, and you look at how that one thing can lead to another, and look at the value of that 19,345 days John Denver had, which then created all this other stuff that still exists, even though he's gone. Not unlike, in my mind, my father taking those books out and going, you might want to look at this. So does not the same thing apply to our lives? You might want to take a look at what's going on. You might want to look at it. So to wrap it up, uh, I thought I'd give John Barry a drop with the vinyl here, it's not real vinyl, it's digital, but you get my drift. And uh, he does a great version of Annie's song. So to wrap all that stuff up, uh, I just thought it was appropriate, especially with John sending me that text last night, we went back and forth, how cool is this? It was just, it was a great surprise. And so what I'm hoping for you today is to go within. Because if you go within, you'll never go without. But most people don't, because it's kind of scary there. It's easier to stay out on the edges and point fingers and go, look at what's not working over there, as opposed to the thumb that's looking back going, what do I got to do in here? That's what I do every morning. doesn't always work out the way I think it should, and that's okay. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.
1: Sometimes you draw inspiration from others, and I drew a lot of inspiration from John Denver. I loved his music. to